Okay, people. discussion about the World Health Organization's proposed pandemic treaty and changes to international health regulations. In short, the proposal is a dystopian nightmare. The World Health Organization, the WHO, is demanding the power to dictate Australian state and federal and New Zealand health policy, including ordering compulsory vaccination, lockdowns, closures of borders and businesses, and worst of all, detention of anyone not complying with the latest vaccine mandate and forced medical procedures. Under its arbitrary rules, WHO can order a company to stop making drugs. The catastrophic and murderous ivermectin ban is one example of how this will be used. Under these changes, Australian and New Zealand health authorities would report to the WHO, not the Australian and New Zealand Parliament, ceding our national sovereignty to the UN's WHO, killing accountability. Australia and New Zealand will have to comply with every WHO dictate or face crippling export and money market sanctions. The amendments even remove WHO's overarching principle of protecting the dignity, human rights and fundamental freedoms of persons and replaces it with a meaningless equity statement. This reflects the intended use of these amendments to act contrary to human dignity, contrary to human rights and contrary to fundamental freedoms. This power grab is being fine-tuned now in meetings behind closed doors and will be voted on at the World Health Assembly in May 2024. 11th of August 2023, welcome to Counterspin, I'm Calvin Help. And I'm Hannah Spira. Episode 96. Who are the bastards killing us? Well, there's a simple answer to that question. Who are the bastards killing us? That is right, Calvin. And today to discuss that, we're going to have James Rogaski on. He's been doing a lot of research into the who, uh, and we will be checking out the other agenda that they are rolling out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Well, uh, before that, though, Calvin, we should let everybody know that yesterday our court case was back in court, but we didn't have to appear. We're excused. It was administrative procedure and it's been called off now until sometime in October. We'll keep you updated on that. Yes, yeah, so we've had about half a dozen uh, court appearances and it goes on as we fight the deep state because they're trying to shut us down and they don't want to shut us down. They want to shut your voice down. They don't want you to know the truth. Uh, another thing we want to bring your attention to this week is, of course, Samantha um, was on the show last week, Samantha Edwards, discussing her assault. Um, down at the Stop Code Governance meeting. And we did a whole episode there about the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People and how that is uh, the way they're bringing in more legislation through Heipuapua and code governance. Um, Marxist socialist rubbish. That's right. And then Sean Plunkett did an interview with Samantha this week. What did you think of that, Calvin? It was rather interesting, um, especially his description of ourselves especially me. Check this out. And counterspin, look, honestly, those people are uh, not nice people. I'm just going to say it. Uh, they're certainly not journalists. The guy's a fantasist, uh, an absolute blowhard fantasist. <laughs> That's a rather heartless comment there, Sean, but I must admit, because you've had such a lot of heart problems lately requiring hospitalisation, it proves you've actually got one. Um, and I'm also, also here he's a proponent of the jab. I mean, doesn't think anything's wrong with it. I suppose if we put two and two together with his heart problems, he might get, <laughs> but anyway, we'll move on. Uh, well, and it's not the first time that he's talked about us on the platform. Um, you know, he's made comments in the past, but also Michael Laws, before you went on with him, he also had a, a unique way of, well, actually not that unique because mainstream does it as well, but here's what Michael Laws had to say about you. Well, um, in the midst of all this, and um, somebody who is probably regarded by the mainstream media as almost the devil, I would think, just quietly, um, and uh, a leading purveyor of misinformation uh, and of conspiracy theories, um, would be Counterspin. Um, and its principal, Calvin Elp, 
and he joins us this morning. Well, facts and, uh, facts and evidence there, Michael. Uh, there's two principles, Hannah and I, so that's wrong already. And uh, the platform are well known for mis- and disinformation. I think you guys should shake up with Kate Hanger from Hannah from the Disinformation Project and make little conspiracy babies because that's really all you push. <laughs> um, and another new word that I hadn't heard before that Sean mentioned this week uh, was cookers. That's what he called us. So I looked it up. And um, first of all, I went through all the dictionaries. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's a cooker, uh, to cook, someone who cooks, uh, a utensil. And if you get down to the urban dictionary, it talks about a utensil for basically dissolving drugs, obviously for meth heads. They call them cookers as well. But uh, apparently he wasn't applying it in that sense either. And you found what? Oh, yeah. I found an article dated um, February earlier this year. And it said majorly cooked sporting legends Pat Cash and Kelly Slater, who uh, went on to an episode with Graham Hood uh, over there in Australia. And yeah, so they're, they're cookers. It's another word for conspiracy theorists. Graham apparently. Hood, of course, the Australian Qantas pilot who was calling out the vaccine injured. We don't call it a vaccine because it's not quite clearly. Uh, but yet the platform seems to push that. They seem to believe that the jab, all you people out there walking around injured and those who have lost their loved ones, apparently it's all in your head. This this thing is uh, great. So good to just see. Goes to show that, uh, as usual, Canada Media 100% correct. And if you're going to call us a fantasist or, or whatever, then I'm a 100% correct one. <laughs> well, we we look forward to the day where. In fact, let's let's invite Sean Plunkett on the show. Uh, unlike you, Sean, we'll actually let you speak and give full answers before. Um, in fact, we won't even try to override you. We'll get you to bring your facts and evidence. We'll have ours, and let's debate. Let's see who's right. Let's see who the people decide at the end of the day is right and who's wrong. That'd be a cool debate. Like $2 million, someone invested in that crap. Well, and here we are, nickel and dime outfit, getting everything 100% correct. Those who fund the platform, how about funding us? Because I tell you what, we'll pour it on even bigger and better than we do now. Yeah, I, I, there's rumours going around that they're not actually funding them anymore, but I cannot confirm that. Surprised with the low ratings. So like the biggest ratings they get when they have people like us on. That's right. Um, another UN agenda that continues to roll out, of course, is the Sustainable Development Goals and all the climate change nonsense. Now, we had a big company this week, Calvin, in New Zealand, trying to fix the climate change crisis. And that company is BlackRock. Well, they're not really a company. They're a worldwide conglomerate investment firm. These people have trillions of dollars under asset management, other people's money. And then they choose particular investments. Now, over here, the ink isn't yet on the paper, as far as we know, um, for the $2 billion deal to investment to make New Zealand the world's first in renewable, 100% renewable energies. That's just not going to happen. It's just seriously not going to happen. Because in order to invest $2 billion, they're an investment firm. They are going to want money back. And everyone knows you cannot take from an economy more than you put in. You put $2 billion, how much are they going to suck out? And who's going to be left with the tab at the end of the day? You people, if you're still alive by the time they finish this crap. Well, it makes you wonder, because Jacinda Ardern was visiting BlackRock, yes, this big that. investment firm last year. And maybe, Calvin, they're selling out New Zealand assets. Maybe they're, maybe they're putting the contract. Well, it's like know. the Pfizer contract. We want the Pfizer contract released. But, um, they were asked through an Official Information Act request. BlackRock, that is. Sorry, no, the, no, the, the Office of the Prime Minister yeah. was asked through an Official Information Act request for the minutes and a list of attendees and what was discussed at that meeting. Of course, they came back with there were no minutes kept um, and they wouldn't be providing any information, which is highly unusual. And then progressed further on to when old Chippy Hipkins took that that. Uh, up-and-coming little socialist, took the spot. He's already been to Klaus, of course, Klaus Schwab, sat with him and got his instructions. Now, now he's pushing and finishing off that uh, green deal here. So BlackRock comes and starts investing that. So it was set up beforehand. <clears throat> this is ongoing. And the fact that they're doing it in secret, the most transparent government ever? Jesus. Yes, and that's a good segue to talk more about our guest who's coming up shortly because, of course, James Rogowski will talk about the Global Pandemic Treaty and the International Health Regulation Amendments that are going um, on at the moment in secrecy also. It's been very difficult to get information about this. However, um, I do want to let you know that you can, uh, I here have printed out 
the um, New Zealand submission to the World Health Organization. Um, and that is, of course, the working group on amendments for those international health regulations. And you can see exactly uh, what New Zealand was um, proposing for the amendment. So I'll put the link up there so you can go and find all that yourself. And hopefully... But like with any good organization, uh, like the New Zealand government does to us, they ask us through consultation, what would you like? Tell us what you feel. We tell them and they say, that's great. Now we're going to ignore you and do what we want. The World Health Organization is attempting a power grab. Number one, most people have never heard of the International Health Regulations, IHR. The United Nations agreed to the IHR in 2005. Pastor Brown had that document for Homeland Security planning all of it then that he broke last hour. Number two, that's a key tidbit, isn't it? On January 18, 2022, the United Nations submitted a number of amendments to the IHR that served to give away even more of our sovereignty and greatly empower the World Health Organization, or the WHO, to restrict your health-related rights and freedoms. Takes control of everything. Number three, the 75th meeting of the World Health Assembly will be held in Geneva, Switzerland from May 22nd, 28th this year. This month, the assembly will vote on the amendments to the IHR. They are very likely to pass and be enacted into international law unless we, the people, stand up against this attack on our sovereignty. And even if they pass it, we have to block it at the congressional level, at the court level, because Biden will try to implement. Number four, these amendments to the international health regulations do not need to be approved by two thirds of the U.S. Senate. We have already agreed to obey the IHR in previous treaties by virtue of our membership in the United Nations and the World Health Organization. We have already given away some of our sovereignty. These amendments are designed to confuse the member nations into giving away even more of their sovereignty. Number five, in addition to the proposed amendments in the IHR, the WHO has also set up an intergovernmental negotiating body that is actively negotiating an international treaty of pandemic prevention Preparedness and response. Proposed pandemic treaty is separate from the addition to proposed amendments to the international health regulations mentioned above. So they get you to sign on to it, and they say, well, your government's already signed on unless the government says no. Number six, the pandemic treaty does not yet exist. It is being drafted and negotiated right now. Discussions regarding the pandemic treaty are important, but they are also part of the sophisticated diversion to confuse people and get them to ignore the immediate concern, which is the amendments to the IHR being considered by the World Health Organization this May 22nd, 28th. Number seven, the time to speak out and stand up for your rights is now. All you saw in the last two years was a drill and a preparation for this. We are now joined by James Rogeski from StopTheGlobalAgenda.com, where he does some amazing uh, research and writing. Welcome to the show, James. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to share a lot of information with your audience. All right, James, if you could just give us a quick summary of all the uh, things we'll be discussing today and the most important things you think people need to know. Well, at the moment, there are at least four tracks of change that are going on at both the United Nations and the WHO. Uh, track number one, the United Nations is scheduled to adopt what they call a political declaration for pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. And they're, they're scheduled to do that on September 20th of 2023. The second track actually happened last year. Most people are unaware that amendments to the international health regulations were adopted on May 27th, 2022. And the deadline to reject them is coming up quickly on December 1st of this year, 2023. The third track is very similar to that. And people get them all confused. But there are over 300 amendments to the international health regulations that nations around the world have submitted, and they've been negotiating in secret. That is going to be submitted to the WHO by mid-January, and no one has had an opportunity to comment on that, and time is passing by very quickly. And what most people think all of that is, is commonly called the pandemic treaty, that's the fourth track, but it's really not a treaty. It's a framework convention that would set up a whole new bureaucracy that could make um, protocols and details going off into the future very similar to the framework 
Convention on Climate Change that was adopted in 1992. They hope to adopt that in May of 2024. And so we need to stop each and every one of these attempts to take away our freedoms and our rights. Yeah, you've got so much information there on your Substack. You were actually one of the well, you pretty much as far as I know, um, were you know, you broke the story last year with these international health regulations being amended. Just so people know a bit more about who you are, do you want to give them a bit more context? I mean, you've been researching this stuff for decades. Um, you know, how was it that you came to be uh, so engrossed in all of this? Well, you know, actually, I have not been researching the WHO for decades. That's been about a little more than a year now. Um, I had spent a good half of my life um, dealing with natural health. And so when all of the things involved with COVID were going on in 2020 and so forth, um, I had numerous websites dedicated to that. But in early last year, they were all wiped out from the Internet. They were all removed for no apparent reason other than, you know, maybe I was speaking a little too much truth. And so I kind of went through a personal great reset. And um, as I was digging into uh, additional information, I came across a, a document on the Internet that was ultimately what, you know, got me down this rabbit hole of the WHO. It was uh, a document that the Biden administration had submitted to the WHO. But to my knowledge, still to this day, I, I've never been able to find that they actually published it anywhere on a U.S. government website. Um, it was put on someone's blog. I, I found it. I read it. I understood that it was important, started spreading the word about it. And it wasn't until April 12th, um, after it had been submitted in on January 18th, so almost three months, that it was pretty much kept secret. And it was proposed amendments to something called the International Health Regulations, which you know I had I, I'd known a little bit about, but when I realized what um, was going on very, very quietly in the background, um, you know, I, I raised the alarm and, you know, let everybody know about it. Yeah, it's definitely something that's still kind of very misunderstood here in New Zealand by the most people. I mean, we, you know, they talk about the World Health Organization that, you know, we have to take on, you know, these international health regulations and things like that. But it's kind of like the climate change uh, sustainable um, development goals and what's happening in the from the UN that way. Uh, it's kind of creeping into New Zealand society. And the politicians don't really discuss it at such an international level that these international organisations are really actually changing the fabric of, you know, the regulations and, and how we create policy in New Zealand. I mean, that's going around the whole world like that, isn't it? Well, there's a cognitive dissonance very specifically about the international health regulations. And I'll, I'll try to explain it, but it's interesting. You explain it to people and, and you know, it's clear, but when, when they get it, a light bulb goes off and, and they usually make some sort of sound, right? It's like, oh my God, when they finally see it. But a lot of people never see it. And so for the United States, it's probably a little bit different for um, New Zealand, but we joined the WHO in 1948. And what happened back then is actually the cause of the problems that we're dealing with now, 75 years later. Our Congress agreed to put all of this, not in the, our Congress or you know, in other countries to be the parliament, they handed over all of the authority to the executive branch, to the president. So the president chooses the delegate to the WHO, to the World Health Assembly, and that delegate is not responsible, does not have any responsibility back to the people or the parliament. They're only responsible to the executive branch of the government. And so what most members of parliament or Congress or the Senate are just completely oblivious about is that when the delegates who we were talking earlier, the vast majority of people have no idea who their delegates are to the WHO because they're appointed, they're not elected, they don't talk to the community, they don't talk to the people, they don't really want feedback. They listen to the people who appointed them to you know these um, un unaccountable positions. And so when they go and meet every May, at the World Health Assembly once a year, if they make decisions, whatever they adopt 
absolutely does not come back to Congress or Senate or Parliament, there will be no vote on amendments to international health regulations that they may choose to adopt. There will be no need for a signature by a president or a prime minister or any other leader. Now, that hurts people's heads. They don't want to believe that that's how the system is structured. And I don't think that it's right either, but I'm also a realist. That is how it is. And so last year, even though I um, raised the alarm and the amendments that the Biden administration had proposed were pretty much kicked to the curb and, and not even really discussed during the assembly, what they did in the middle of the assembly is the United States, Australia, the United Kingdom, the European Union, Japan, Monaco, Bosnia, and I think a couple other nations submitted a new batch of amendments, and those were adopted on May 27th of 2022. That's more than 14 months ago, and nobody has said a word. No one in any parliament anywhere on the planet that I'm aware of has spoken a word about them because they don't have the authority to do anything about it. And so there's an 18-month period where the prime minister or the president or whatever other um, official, whether it's a foreign minister or a health minister or an ambassador you know, to the WHO, they can just write a letter to the WHO and say, well, you know, thank you very much for the amendments that you adopted, but not for our nation. No, thank you. We reject them under Article 61 of the International Health Regulations. So we still have a little bit more than three months for that to happen, but nobody's talking about it. And, and they're not going to unless the people, you know, make it an issue. So the deadline for the amendments that were adopted on May 27th, 2022 is coming up pretty quickly. It's December 1st. And, and so the reason that's important is when they passed or adopted those amendments in 2022, they also set up a, a situation where they have a working group and they told all of the nations, please submit any additional amendments that you would like to make to the international health regulations. Essentially what happened is they saw that the United States was trying to shove these through you know, really quietly, just push them right through. And I think it woke everyone up. It let, you know, it opened up Pandora's box and the nation said, oh, you want to change the international health regulations? We'll show you how to change the international health regulations. So they submitted 197 pages of proposed amendments that were kept secret from the end of September when they were um, put forth into mid-December. So they finally did uh, let the original proposed amendments be made public in mid-December. I reported on it then, and they've been negotiating ever since then, and they have not ever submitted or made public any revision, you know, a first draft, second draft, um, version 2.0. Complete secrecy has been surrounding those well over 300 amendments. Now, some of the things that are in there are egregiously horrible, but we don't know what the current status is because they haven't released a, a new version since December. They're just doing all of this in secret. It's quite interesting because the proponents for the World Health Organization's Pandemic Preparedness Treaty state that uh, member nations maintain their sovereignty to carry out any pandemic preparedness or you know um, way they go about delivering the services within the country but my readers at the world health organization one will actually override and supersede nation states ability to decide for themselves would that be correct well you know here's where it gets complicated because some of the proposed amendments there's an amendment to article one um, from bangladesh that would change a definition of a very fundamental English word. Uh, they talk about um, temporary and standing recommendations. And interestingly enough, 
this morning, the WHO, for the first time in their history, published standing recommendations for um, COVID-19. And these are supposed to run from August 9th until April 30th of 2025. So it's been in the international health regulations since 2005 that the director general could put forth standing recommendations. This is the first time ever they did that this morning. And so a standing recommendation though is defined as non-binding advice. But Bangladesh proposed changing that and crossing out the phrase non-binding. And coupled with a proposed amendment by Malaysia to Article 42, it would make it so that both temporary and standing recommendations would not be recommendations anymore, they would be obligations. And so even the International Health Regulations Review Committee said, well, now hold on, wait a minute. If you change the definition of what a recommendation is and you make it obligatory, that changes the whole nature of the international health regulations and the relationship with the World Health Organization. It's one thing for them to be an advisory organization. It's another thing for them to be giving commands. Mm. Now, my suspicion, and I cannot prove this because they're keeping it a secret, is that that particular set of details that I just discussed may very well have been jettisoned and it may be functioning as a decoy. I have no way of knowing because they won't let us see what is still in the negotiated document. They also wanted to change a, a number of other things, but the, the largest collection of all of the amendments in both uh, you know, the amendments to the International Health Regulation and in what most people call the treaty, but it's really a framework convention, is not an attack on sovereignty. It's not uh, you know, giving the director general control over your health decisions or lockdowns or sovereignty. What it really is, is a, a venture capital prospectus. They want tens of billions of dollars to go into what I refer to as the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex. They want tons of money to build out laboratory networks and testing um, facilities so that they can go searching all through the world to find pathogens or genomic sequences of purported pathogens so that they can say that there's the potential for some you know, pandemic to happen even if no one has taken ill or no one has died. Now, one of the things that you mentioned, I wanna to get to it very specifically, Russia proposed an amendment to Article 4. Now, in the original, um, or I should say the 2005 version of the International Health Regulations, in Article 4, that is when I feel the WHO truly infiltrated every nation's government on the planet. That 2005 set of amendments created what's called a National IHR Focal Point Office. If you look up New Zealand and National IHR Focal Point, it may go by a different name, but there is an office in every nation's government that is required to be in 24-7 communication with the WHO. And so Russia proposed an amendment that if, if these amendments are adopted, every nation would be obligated to, in their own laws, give authority to that office the national IHR focal point to implement all of the other obligations and all of the other amendments. So the way they get around taking away our sovereignty in terms of the amendments is they don't necessarily have it set up where the director general will be directly telling you or I what we have to do. Um, the national inter, um, inter the, the national IHR focal point, it's a strange term, national international health regulations focal point would would be empowered by your government to impose all of the other changes that they're making now many nations and new zealand australia are have been among the, the worst and the most strict um the abuse of rights and freedoms that each individual nation 
has put upon its own people um, is probably actually worse than anything anybody in Geneva would ever even dream of doing. Mm. You know, they would get our they would get our own people to do it to ourselves, and so arguably, in in a sideways, very slippery way, yes, that's a loss of personal sovereignty and personal freedom. But they would let each nation abuse its own people in its own unique way. Yeah, and you know, it it has become very abusive uh, against. You know, yeah, like you say, what happened in Australia and New Zealand was horrific. I feel like we were major testing grounds for a lot of these policies. Lab rats. Yeah, lab rats. Um, and I thought it was also interesting in some of your other interviews how you've made the point that uh, the stop smoking kind of um, campaign and amendments or the rollout of that is similar to what you've seen with this because New Zealand is supposed to be smoke free by 2025 2025 and we're one of the first I think countries where that whole experiment's been pushed so what they're not going to make that (laughs) what um not if you have anything to do with that what um what were those similarities with the framework that you were seeing there well just to keep it all clear for people so far what we've been talking about are two of the four things that are going on at the moment. And so the first thing we talked about was the amendments that were adopted last year. Then there's the second batch that are currently being negotiated. They're hoping to submit those by mid-December and um, potentially be adopted in in May. What I uh, will be talking about now is what most people call the pandemic treaty. But by calling it a treaty, People actually, I think, get confused. And what has happened is the the amendments get all mixed together with with what is in this framework convention. And so the WHO in their constitution, many people don't even realize that the WHO has a constitution. In Article 19, it says that they can negotiate a convention. And a lot of times it's referred to as a framework convention. And what it really does is it if you can get nations to agree to agree, then you can get them signed on. And on a yearly basis, they would have a group of people that meet the conference of the parties, whoever is participating. And then they would be in charge of adopting detailed protocols that would guide you know, the operations of the agreement off into the future. And the way this document is written right now is it would have no feedback mechanism whatsoever from anyone's parliament or the people or or any um, connection to anything remotely related to democracy where the people would have a say on those details. Now, when I first started looking at the WHOCA plus, Convention Agreement Plus, which is what they call it, I realized that 20 years ago, the WHO, this is the only other time that the WHO has ever done this, 20 years ago, they um, adopted and approved the Framework Convention for the Control of Tobacco. And so as the years go by, these protocols get decided upon by a group of people that neither you nor I nor anybody on the planet has any idea who they are. But 20 years ago, that group was empowered to make these decisions year after year after year. If you go all the way back to 1992 in the United Nations, all of the 193 member nations in the UN adopted the Framework Convention for Climate Change. So if you wonder how this happens, it's this slow creeping agreement that If you agree to a framework convention, you agree to put other people in charge of working out the details. And so the concern right now that I have is that all of the nations are quite frankly arguing about what is going to be in this document, because back in April, they were arguing and the intergovernmental negotiating body, which is the group that is really running the show here, they said, okay, look, all of you nations, you can submit text, please do so by April 22nd. And so all of the nations who wanted to submit text 
to the WHO CA plus did so. And it's all put together in a 208 page compilation text, which is secret. We are not allowed to see what all of the nations submitted in terms of what they want to be in the negotiated document. Now, what happened was on May 22nd, they put out a preliminary version and then they published it finally on June the 2nd. It's called the Bureau's Text of the WHO CA+. And so I think you mentioned, you know, that they they keep saying that this is a member nation-led negotiation. But hold on a moment. A lot of nations are very unhappy that they submitted text that was edited out and it was compiled down. There's 208 pages that were compiled down to a 43-page bureau's text. That's the bureaucracy. So the people running the show have not brought in you know, more than 100 pages worth of text that the nations have said that they would like to see in the document that they're negotiating. And so whenever I hear them say, actually, I did a, I did a whole video uh, about um, this because they put out a propaganda piece that um, you know, it's just a lie. When yeah. nations are complaining that their input is not in the document that they're working to negotiate, and and the WHO says, oh, it's a member nation led process, uh, you know, they're just they're just not telling the truth. That's just really not what's happening. It's much like our government. Actually, they um, consult with the people. They have referendums. They say, okay, that's what you want. Cool. We'll ignore it anyway, and we'll do what we want. That just seems to be part and parcel of the day. Now, if I go mm -hmm. back to uh, the World Health Assembly's second special session, I'm doing this for a reason, of course, in Geneva mm -hmm. on the 29th of November to um, December 1st, um, the president at the time was uh, Professor B. Honkpakten from Benin. And the opening part is quite interesting, but I'll, I'll let you know, I'll, I'll read what New Zealand's representative had to say in his little opening or its opening address. Consideration of the benefits of developing a WHO Convention Agreement or other international instrument on the pandemic preparedness and response with a view towards the establishment of an intergovernmental process to draft and negotiate such a convention, agreement, or international instrument on pandemic preparedness and response, taking into account the report of the Working Group on Strengthening WHO Preparedness and World and Response to Health Emergencies. That's a whole lot of convoluted thing, convoluted crap. You, but anyway, you could bottle you could bottle that and sell it as a sedative. It'll put you right out. <laughs> exactly. I think that's what they do. They make things overbearing, overcomplicated, so people just say, "Okay, move on to the next part." Now, this is what the New Zealand representative had to say. I think it was on the second day. The representative of New Zealand said that the international community must act quickly and work together to improve pandemic pre prevention preparedness and response to avoid another health emergency of the magnitude of COVID-19. Greater scam around. Um, although the global health system had many sound elements, such as the International Health Regulations, 2005, existing rules lacked co coherence and were significant gaps to be addressed. The improved international system should be guided by key principles of equity. A one health approach, prevention of harm, transparency, regulatory coherence, it gets better. A new instrument should be fit for purpose and build on existing elements of the global health system. It should mobilize political will and empower who to take action. That's important. Um, it should also be flexible, support strengthened health systems, and uh, enable improved whole of government coordination and deliver more equitable access to medical countermeasures. This is the bit that, that raised my eyebrow. We welcome the efforts to advance global health security through increased political leadership and supported the establishment of an intergovernmental negotiating body to develop a new legally binding instrument together with the improvements of existing health elements. So that was the plan all along, to make an internationally, like you alluded to, binding instrument so that who could declare a pandemic for, I don't know, someone who had the sniffles down the road at mum's place, and all of a sudden... There goes your lockdowns. They tell countries, lock your people down now. We'll tell you when they can come out and what they are to do in order to come out. Like, you must get tested. You must get jabbed. 
it's um i think it's a recipe for disaster your thoughts well there's phrase after phrase after phrase in what you said that i can't tell you how many hundreds if not thousands of times i've heard those phrases um early on i i took some of the documents and i put them into uh, a word search program that you maybe could find on the internet and you know they say the same words over and over and over mm -hmm. and it's actually part of the hypnotic programming if if you're a member of the team those words just flow out of your mouth you know with regularity and uh, you know i've i've jokingly done that and and you put it all together and and you sound like one of the automatons that is you know at all of these meetings they yeah. they go from country to country to country and they pretty much just say the entire you know the same thing but i'd like to actually rewind the clock a little bit to may of 2021 because a name that may be near and dear to your viewers' hearts, um, Helen Clark, um, was the person who uh, started this process with something called the, pan uh, the Independent Panel for Pandemic Prevention, Preparedness, and Response. And so in May of 2021, they came out with this proposal, and, and they really had three main things that they said and it's been carrying the day all you know for more than two years now they said they wanted a framework convention which is pretty much where they're headed they felt that there would be a need for 30 billion dollars a year which um, one of the tracks that we haven't mentioned yet is going through the united nations and and that's the first time they're actually putting in in a document that they feel that the WHO should get $30 billion a year for this project. And then they said they wanted to have a global health threats council at, at the area of, of, you know, leaders of nations. Okay. And so what's actually happening is many of the former leaders are, are being steered into these positions where, you know, many of the people on these boards, you know, prime ministers who've been kicked to the curb or, or you know, voted out of office or retired are, are coming back and taking positions in these discussions and negotiations. Right. And, and so what really happened, though, was if you go back in time to 2020, everyone was afraid of COVID. There was a lot of misinformation. A lot of people didn't know what was happening. Some doctors figured out how to treat patients with, um, you know, existing medications. I, I could go on for days about what people don't know that doctors have done that was miraculous and amazing. But that was all put aside because of this wonderful warp speed development of new technology, mRNA injections. And, and so, at the beginning of 2021, the hope of many people who were not properly informed was that these injections were going to bring back normal, save everybody and the COVID problem. And, and into the middle of 2021, what happened was the relatively poor nations said, well, wait a minute, Canada, the United States, United Kingdom, European Union, Australia, New Zealand, they bought like 10 times as many injections as they needed. And so the distribution of these wonderful life-saving products, as they were believed to be at the time, was inequitable. And so what we're dealing with, with what you talked about from the November, December um, uh, assembly, was really a trade dispute. They were arguing that the rich nations kept all the good poison and they weren't getting enough. And so what we're dealing with with these negotiations has got nothing, nothing to do with health. This is a trade dispute and they're arguing for equity, which means money, right? So the relatively poor nations are upset primarily especially with what happened in Botswana and South Africa, they purportedly found a new variant, the Omicron variant, and they alerted the world. And the first thing that happened was nations shut down travel to South Africa. And then Pfizer and Moderna took that genetic information and turned it into money by creating a booster shot. And so South Africa and Botswana and other nations said, no, no wait a minute. Um, 
there's there's got to be a pathogen access benefit sharing system. Now that comes from uh, a different agreement about biological diversity, convention on biological diversity. If you have you know native plants or or um, you know native peoples who may have learned how to deal with diseases in natural ways, those are a national treasure. And the Convention on Biological Diversity was meant to protect that from pharmaceutical companies coming in and, and, and taking that information and, and profiting from it. There's supposed to be access, but it means to share the benefits. And so what nations are arguing is that, hey, we found this pathogen in our nation, so we need to be compensated for giving you the information. But the companies don't want to give the intellectual property back so that nations could manufacture these poisonous injections in their home nation. And so what we're actually witnessing in the World Health Organization is something that should be in the World Trade Organization. They're arguing about money and intellectual property and access to information and, and sharing of the benefits that come when you take genetic information and turn it into an mRNA jab. If anybody thinks they're arguing to make anybody on the planet healthier, you're sadly mistaken. They're talking about a transfer of wealth and control of the information that they could then use to fearmonger, give themselves the power to say, oh, there's a potential for an emergency. We got to lock you down, drug and jab you up, and then be able to claim, oh, you know, we save the world from the next pandemic while leaving in their wake all of the damage that the drugs and the jabs are actually doing. And I think it's probably, you, you know, really important to stress as well, uh, the surveillance aspect. So not only is it a money-making thing, but as you bring up, you know, it's a control thing. So how do they actually intend to surveil the population through this whole rollout? And where is the technology going, um, you know, in future, do you think? Well, surveillance, of jabs. surveillance has at least three categories that I can, and, and there's more, but three big categories that come to mind immediately. Okay. Number one is the national IHR focal point is supposed to surveil all of your medical system information so that if there's an outbreak or there's an increase in disease or death, boom, they tell the WHO. So there's the surveillance of health data. That's number one. In the international health regulations proposed amendments, especially the European Union, has submitted um, many amendments to set up a global digital health certification network. Most people call that a vaccine passport. And so they want to have vaccine certification, um, prophylaxis certification, testing certification, and uh, recovery certification, none of which are really well-defined. And so that means of surveilling, tracking, and tracing people is the second one. But the main one that they want to add comes under the one health approach. And it essentially means they want to be able to, you know, put a swab up your nose or some other orifice. When you bring your pet to the veterinarian, they want to do the same to your pet or, or their stool sample. If you have, you know, animals at home, if you have a chicken coop, they're going to want to test the bedding to see if they can find some bird flu. If you have a, 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 a pigsty, they're going to want to see if they can find some swine flu. They, they want to test septic systems and sewage treatment plants and obviously hospitals because some of the very best, um, you know, antibiotic resistant organisms are, are grown in hospitals because of all the antibiotics they use. And so if they couldn't find a pathogen anywhere, you, you just have to change your, your mindset and realize that that knowledge is a valuable commodity. They might as well have a stock exchange for pathogen information. Because yes. if they can scare people with a new variant or a new pathogen and just say, oh, no, nobody's sick, nobody died, but it has the potential to cause a problem. Therefore, we're saying that it's an emergency. They want to change the definition of an emergency so that it's just if something has the potential, then they can 
in their belief structure, force people to get jabbed or drugged and have to get the paperwork to prove that they did so to avoid something that only has the potential. If they just left it under a rock or in the bat cave or on, on the bedding of your chicken coop, everybody would be just fine. It doesn't mean that people are dying in enormous numbers and it's a threat to humanity. They're just going on fear. And that's pretty much what they did through COVID. They, they manipulated the data. They used systems that were not legitimate tests for whether or not people had disease. But they used it to scare everybody and fearmonger and convince people that their treatments were what was needed to avoid something that had a very minuscule uh, chance of actually harming people. And so and it's not to say that, you know, many people died for a multitude of reasons, but arguably, if you look into it, the the lack of early treatment and the choice of horrible treatment um, more than likely killed more people than any coronavirus ever would. Now, we actually agree with you 100 percent over here. We've, we've got quite a large excess all cause mortality rate since the rollout of that jab. It's just you can see it when the jab entered the extra death started going up. There's no two ways about it. The, 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 it is a bi- biological weapon. It's killing people, isn't it? You know, And as you say, like with a PCR test, it was never fit for purpose. It didn't diagnose Jack. It basically took a snapshot of alphabet soup. They zeroed it on one. They created the, I call it the computer virus, because it was made in a lab, you know, mm-hmm. on a screen. And then that's what they used to get their patents and then start rolling this crap out. Um over here, we have the Therapeutic Goods Act, or TTPA, uh, that seeks to wipe out something you'd be um, focused on, and that's natural health products. Because over here, like as developing around the world, we can see uh, in lockstep, there is no such thing as a health system anymore. It's an illness maintenance system. You cannot make profit for pharmaceutical companies in the, to the tune of billions of dollars a year if you promote health and well-being. So... It's it's just it's a racket. It's an absolute racket. And uh, I would I would take it a little bit stronger. Um, it's actually more than a health maintenance or or a disease maintenance organization. Um, it's actually a disease causing system. And there's one last agree. thing I want to there's one last thing I want to make sure that we get in, and it's the earliest deadline for all of the many things that are going on. Um, the United Nations back in September of 2022 scheduled a meeting for September 20th of 2023, just about a month or so away. And what they're planning to do is adopt what they call a political declaration uh, for pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. So it's essentially cobbled together from all of the documents we've been talking about. All of these words, you know, like what you were reading from the New Zealand statement back um, from the assembly in 2021, all kinds of empty words. But if you if you step back and you put on a, a financial expert view of it, what you can actually see is they don't really care about doctors who helped people and saved lives by treating them as individuals. It's really, if you put on your financial eyeglasses, you'll see that it's just a business proposition. It's, it's a venture capital prospectus designed to redirect $30 billion into the industry that did all of the harm and did such a wonderful job you know, saving people over the last three to four years. I'm obviously being facetious. They want more money to be pumped into the system that they used to trick, scare, and fearmonger people. And so the United Nations is scheduled to adopt um, this document on September 20th. They're currently in the middle of what they call a silence procedure. They've been negotiating this document since September of last year. They shared the final uh, version with all of the ambassadors to the United Nations. Now, this is the United Nations, not the WHO. And so long as all of the nations remain silent, the silence procedure, they'll just roll into the meeting on September 20th. And if nobody said that they oppose it, it'll just get adopted um, with mm. not much of an argument. And so 
So I encourage everybody to learn as much as you can. And uh, one of the things I do in all my interviews, I hope it doesn't surprise you, is I give everybody my phone number. And so I, I use all of the different things, you know, Signal and Telegram and WhatsApp, and uh, you can text me or call me. But my phone number, I'm in the United States. Uh, country code, I believe, is plus one or zero one, depending upon how you how it works for you in New Zealand. But my phone number is 310-619-3055. And I welcome anybody who's looked over all this information. If you have any questions, I don't know everything. But I have been, you know, I've had my nose to the book on this for, you know, a year and a half now. So I know a lot of the details and um, it's confusing. It's meant to be confusing. And, you know, give me a call, 310-619-3055. I'd be happy to answer any questions. You know, that offer has gone out to um, every member of parliament and member of Congress or the Senate all over the place. Um, and I think I've gotten one phone call from one staff member in, in one state representative's office in a year and a half. So um, if anybody has, has any questions, I, I welcome the opportunity to answer them for you. Well, you probably won't get any from the New Zealand Parliament. They're full of political whores as well. They'll, they'll sell us down the river as quick as look at us, and it's been happening for a long time. But I think um, there is a space here in New Zealand for, for a serious uh, campaign to um, – you know, as part of stopping the global agenda, to raise raise awareness about the World Health Organization, and um, there are uh, petitions, as far as I know, running in the UK. I mm-hmm. haven't seen one running here in New Zealand yet uh, to st- to you know stop these amendments and to stop this whole well, basically to pull out of the World Health Organization. I mean, maybe we should touch on that before we wrap up as well, because we've got a election coming up uh, this year, a national election. I was going to talk about that. Yeah, and I don't know if you're going to say the same thing as me, but many, you know, it's going to be a, a an election for the minor parties because the establishment mm-hmm. uni parties, they're all bought into that whole yeah. um, agenda. But many of the minor parties are talking about pulling out of the United Nations and the World Health Organization, things like that. How do you suggest... Uh, as a nation, that they pull out because so many people say, oh, you can't do it, we're, we're too far in. But remember, there's two of the front-running smaller parties. Well, there's actually three <laughs> front-running smaller parties, but two of them, um, you've got their supporters saying, oh, you have to play the game. You can't just pull out. You've got to just, you know, you've just you've just got to go along with it and we don't have to do what they say. I, I tried to remind them, um, apart from being psychopathic lunatics, that you cannot... Once you sign up to a legally binding dictate, all of a sudden to say, oh, no, it's okay, thanks. We're, we're going to take it on issue by issue. These people are, like you say, cognitive dissonance to the max. Um, personal opinion is that it all starts with awareness, okay? And so probably the vast majority of everything we were talking about today, many people, this is going to be news, right? They just have not seen it. And much of what is out there in the world is misinformation. There's numerous documents with different things and and people have gotten them all jumbled together. And so if I had to simplify it, it's really very simple. Do you think that you and whomever it is that you trust to advise you on your health should be in charge of making the decisions to what happens to you with you and any health issue that you might have, or do you think people in Geneva are better equipped to have a one-size-fits-all answer for everybody on the planet? And so if you just look at it from that simplistic standpoint, what they want to do is have control rise up to the top so that they get to tell everybody this, you know, I mean, I'm holding five pages worth of standing recommendations coming down from above today from the director general of what I call the World Hypnosis Organization, because (laughs) this is a a recommendation, right? They want to change this possibly to be an obligation. Yes. So if you feel that it would be a good idea to have Tedros Ghebreyesus be able to make a recommendation that everybody in the world would have to follow as a legally binding dictate and turn them you know, from the director general into the dictator general. Um, you, you're creating a world homicide organization. Yeah. It's been bad enough that they've been making recommendations and using propaganda 
and coercion and force in, in some instances to convince people that what the WHO said was something that they had to do. And so if you think your local officials are going to get better and nicer and, and more um, logical in terms of allowing you to have the freedom to choose, make your own decisions for your own health, when the WHO can point to uh, an agreement, a framework convention, a treaty, uh, amendments to the international health regulations, if you think that isn't going to make things worse, um, boy, you might want to really start paying attention. Absolutely agree. Yeah, I kind of like Trump's approach in some respects. Uh, you know, he was telling a lot of these organizations basically just to off. go yeah, if themselves. Um, in, in the United in the United States, um, we have a, a piece of legislation that's only two pages long, and I can explain it in twenty seconds. It would give the WHO notice that we're leaving. It would stop giving them money, and we gave them about a billion dollars last year, and it would repeal the legislation that got us in back in nineteen forty eight, and so that's it, and so. Now, probably there's not a, a member of parliament who has the guts to do that, but that doesn't mean that the people can't say to them, well, look what you know they're doing in the United States. 50 members of our Congress have already signed on to that. Now, that's not enough. We still need more, but it's at least 50 who have said, yes, we're out of here. This relationship is abusive. We don't need to negotiate for better terms. We want to be able to control our own health. And so we're leaving. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the answer. If people go to exitthewho.org, don't do a search for it. Just go straight there, exitthewho.org. You'll see what people around the world are doing. And, um, you know, I'd love to work with anyone in New Zealand who has questions, be happy to answer any questions you might have. I've been meeting with people all around the world. Be an honor. That'll awesome. be good. Actually, when um, other alternative media, real news um, outlets like ours, um, watch the show, hopefully they'll get hold of you and put you on their platforms as well, and we can actually start permeating that voice throughout the country because uh, um, uh, like the people I was talking to who have got the cognitive dissonance and Stockholm Syndrome, Maybe then they'll get a clue and realize that this is something that's a that's a must do. It's not a negotiation or let's just play the game like the. Yeah, I won't. Well, you know, I've them. pretty much I pretty much dedicated myself to this for the last year. I'm here to serve, and if there's anything I can do to help anybody in this regard, just give me a call. Be happy to talk to you. That's awesome. Thanks, James. And uh, thanks for putting together that um, very comprehensive list as well of all the alternative media around the world. Uh, we're happy to feature on your list also. Good man. That was an honor. And uh, we thanks we thank you also for the work that you did um, supporting baby Will and his family. You mm -hmm. were all over that. Um, yeah, keep up the great work. And but before you go, one more time, let everyone know how they can get hold of you, where they can find your good work. Um, well, the hardest part is spelling my name. So if you just go to James Roguski, that's J-A-M-E-S-R-O-G-U-S-K-I dot substack dot com um, and hit the archive. Um, I don't put anything behind a paywall, so you can read everything I've written over the last year and, and catch up and get to know what's going on. James Roguski dot substack dot com. Is there a way to uh, support your work uh, through substack? Is there a... a if someone wants to contribute to your efforts? Um, you can go to just plain old jamesroguski.com. Um, I've written books on cholesterol and cancer and diabetes and so forth. I've had websites for all these things. So there's a whole world of health-related information on jamesroguski.com. J-A-M-E-S-R-O-G-U-S-K-I. Awesome. Thanks for doing that really Important work. Mind-numbing work that most people will never do. Without you, uh, we just wouldn't, you know, even know about a lot of this stuff. So thanks again for joining us, and uh, we hope to stay in touch because this is, of course, developing at breakneck speed, and um, yes. people need to know about it. Thanks, James. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Slow recovery. Virus infections, injections, connections can all leave a toxic residue. 
Spike proteins are the hooks on the outside of the virus that attach to your cells. Spike proteins fit like a key into these ACE receptors, unlocking cellular walls. Spike proteins are still found in the body months after an exposure, leaking from the intestine into the bloodstream, hitting ACE receptors which can disrupt normal blood and heart processes, meaning slower recovery for people who can't break them down. Spike Detox is a formula to support your body in normal functions, including detox, after exposure to glycoproteins. Inspired by four everyday plant medicines, two plants that support cells, two plants that support detox. Cell support, supercomputers predicted black seed and quercetin have molecules that fit the ACE receptor to protect it, supporting normal heart and blood, and normal cell walls. Detox support, Spikes are glycoprotein. Some people can break down glycoprotein quickly. Others benefit from extra support. Pineapple's bromelain enzymes break down glycoproteins, like when pineapple juice tenderizes steak. Bromelain dissolves glycoproteins, supporting natural detoxification for people who need it. Acetylcysteine is a stable form of amino acid cysteine inspired by similar compounds in garlic, an antioxidant powerhouse shown to increase bromelain's ability to dissolve spikes. Spike Detox supports normal heart and blood, supports normal cell walls, supports natural detoxification, because not everyone is bouncing back quickly. Spike Detox is available from extralife.co.nz. Enter promo code CSM at checkout for $10 off your order, and Extra Life will make a special donation to Counterspin. Extra Life. For maximum longevity. This product is a dietary supplement. It cannot diagnose, treat or cure any disease. These herbal extracts and nutrients support your body and its natural processes to maintain a state of wellness. If you are experiencing illness or disease, please consult a health professional. You can find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, at counterspinmedia.com. And now, on the InfoWars Network, at band.video.